Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Happy Mother's Day again, and I hope it's a great day for you. I'd just love to pray now, uh, just to think of people who um, are struggling today, maybe people who uh, are grieving or can't be with their children. So can we um, lift our empathy and, and today just remember everyone who might be doing it tough today. So Lord, we thank you so much that you know everyone's situation. And Lord, we can get very caught in ours and we can get very caught in our expectations on a day like this. But Lord, you know where people are up to and what they're going through. So God, would you just be close to the brokenhearted this morning, uh, whether they're here or whether they're at home, um, whether they just can't come to church on a day like today. Lord, we pray that you would be with them. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are the comforter. And so we pray that you would comfort them right now with your love and with the knowledge that you are right there with them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning uh, we're continuing on from last week, but with a Mother's Day twist. So last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we started with love and joy, obviously. We talked about the fact that fruit, um, the nature of a fruit is that it's produced. It's, it's, not, it's not given. A gift is given, but fruit is produced. And we're familiar with an idea like this, that fruit actually comes from a union that then takes time to be produced. For example, Marlo is the fruit of Josh and Tegan's loins. If you think that's unnecessary to mention, consider the fact that last week I referred to Daz and I and our three teenagers were in the room. They did not appreciate that at all. But we get it. And so a fruit of the Spirit obviously would come out of our cooperation with God and His Holy Spirit, that it would come out of our union with Him, our surrender to Him, and that then He would cultivate in us fruit of the Spirit, that actually it would come from God, it would be worked in us and then outworked to the world around us. And it would have like probably correlating human emotions, but completely differentiated from, for example, I love you guys, but my love um, in and of myself is constrained probably to people that I know really well, probably constrained and has limits for if you hurt me. But the fruit of the Spirit overcomes those limitations because it's the love that God loves with. So we're going to put up um, the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. And I'd ask that we could read this passage out together because you love it. Um, on the count of three. One, two, three. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. So we talked about love and, and how it's not human kind of love. That when we talk about love in biblical love... In Corinthians, it says that love is patient, love is kind, it is not proud, it does not boast, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't rejoice with evil, but rejoices with the truth, that it always protects, hopes, trusts and perseveres. That's the kind of love that we're talking about, a love that never fails, a love that without which 
everything else doesn't make sense, that we are nothing, that we have nothing and can do nothing unless it has that solid foundation of love, that everything else is just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then we talked about joy and the natural affinity maybe that I have with joy. And and you probably have a fruit of the Spirit that you're like, oh, I naturally feel like I have an affinity with that. I, I feel like that's a natural kind of thing in my life. Well, joy is one that I feel like I couldn't live without. I couldn't live without without joy. And I love that feasting is part of, of Old Testament worship. I love that. You're like, yes, she loves her food. Well, not just that, like the joy of a feast, the excitement around the table and, and, and you know, having fun together. I love that there's four cups of wine in the Passover feast. I, I love that the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that the, the literal translation, delight in Yahweh is a strong fortress and a protective tower. The delighting in Him is our strength. I love that joy goes beyond a personality trait and is actually a response to the goodness and grace of God in our lives. I love joy. Uh, But also kindness. We looked at kindness in the 4pm service, that really kindness is as kindness does. Um, It's not just a Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid as kindness is as kindness does. That the whole thing is show kindness. It's necessary that kindness actually shows, that kindness shows up somewhere. Uh, it's a practical thing. It's not an adjective. It's not a describing word. Oh, Sal's kind. You are sorry, kind, Sal. But it should be a verb. Kindness in the fruit of the Spirit is meant to be a doing word. That kindness shows up. It's an active word. And then goodness. The word goodness found only three times in the New Testament and nowhere else in ancient literature. That goodness, this kind of goodness was reserved only in the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, only reserved for God. That when... Goodness is referred to, it's only in reference to God, which then is just incredible that he would say that he gives us his goodness, that he's going to work his kind of goodness in us, that we could actually be good beyond being a good bloke, but that we have that kind of goodness of God. And the litmus test we looked at of goodness is Jesus said that good fruit comes out of the good things stored up in a good man's heart. And then he qualifies it with this statement for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you can tell how well goodness is being produced in your life by what's coming out of your mouth. If there's slander coming out of your mouth or if you're always picking up on the negative or you're always talking about people behind their back or people can't find you trustworthy in what you say, then you know that there's work yet to be done on the goodness, the fruit of goodness in your life. And then faith. Faith, cultivating a childlike response to the Word of God and not qualifying it with your experience. That actually you would cultivate, you choose to keep on believing Him in what He says, that He's a man of His Word. Jerry, where's Jerry? That's a song that you're going to sing. Man of your word. Okay, got it, good. Okay, um, we're looking forward to the item that Jerry's going to sing, Man of Your Word. It's going to be great. And, uh, and, and you might think, Bron, you kind of missed some there. Love, joy, you missed peace and patience and went straight to kindness, goodness and faith. I wanted to reserve peace and patience for Mother's Day. Because who knows, <laughs> if you're a mum, you need some peace and patience. Anyone, amen me. Yes, I feel you. And so peace and patience. I, I feel like peace is often a matter of perspective. Let me give you a story of perspective. Last Tuesday, we were at Tegan and Josh's house for our last May the 4th Be With You dinner. And we were sitting around the table and Bella began to talk about my mum, mumness and, and, and how one time on costume day, I grabbed a branch 
off a tree at the pool, pinned it to a shirt and said, there you go, you're Coral. And that was her costume. And I was like, oh, mum fail. And I was like, hang on. I don't think that that happened. And I began to remember over the next couple of days, it took me a couple of days to remember, I have a terrible, terrible memory. But yes, I did snap off the tree a branch off the tree. Then I went to the shop and I bought some red spray paint and I spray painted it. And then I got her hair and plaited it into a thousand different plaits all over her head and then got wire and stuck it in and spray painted with hairspray, <laughs> coloured hairspray, not the spray paint, and red as well. And then bought her blue tights, got her blue shirt, pinned the red coral on so she was the sea and the coral was there and extended up into her hair. And then I had made her an under the sea cake for, to take to school for costume day. I was like, I've gone from being this massive mum fail to I'm actually the best mum in the world. How good am I? But it was actually just a matter of perspective. And Lockie and Kate always say, mum, Belle was telling a story about you and what you did. It wasn't true. I'm like, excellent. That's great. Now, I know that I've got to take responsibility for it because on some level, Bella must feel that I haven't shown up for her in some way and now it's just been, okay, I'm heading into a therapy session. We'll just move on. But peace can be a matter of perspective. And our perspective matters so much. Our perspective is powerful. So I want to talk to us this morning about realigning to a peace perspective. Realigning to a peace perspective. John chapter 16 verse 33 says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He has overcome. To realign to a peace perspective, to, to gain the kind of peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and our mind in Christ Jesus, we need to recognise what's found in here, that is that He has overcome. That none of us are going to stand before God and, and say, good try God, but geez, you stuffed it, didn't you? When it comes to the world, He is outworking His purposes in the world. He is still in charge. We can know that, yes, it looks awful that yes, things look like they're, they're rough and, and maybe even our own life, but that He has overcome and at the end, He is the one who stands victorious. He has overcome. And so we can realign to a peace perspective. I think about the fact that the difference between watching a game when you know the end score, when it's a replay, and watching a game when you, when you don't know the end score. Um, you might think that's a bit of an odd Mother's Day analogy, but we don't do gender stereotypes here. Personally, I would not watch football ever unless it was AFL, but or my son or someone I knew was playing in it. But I digress. <laughs> um, but if you, know, if you know what the end score is, then whenever you need to go to the toilet, you just go to the toilet. But if you don't know what the end score is, you wait till half time. You're on the edge of your seat. You're wondering. You, you don't know. You're unsure. You, you, there's this level of anxiety rising up within you. But if you know the end story, then you feel complete peace during the whole thing. You like go out and get some chips and, and whatever it might be. So what about you? Do you fully, have you comprehended that he has overcome, that he's still sitting on the throne and that no matter what you're going through right now, that, that he is going to bring it all to right? Hmm. Have you ever been through it? Anyone ever been through it? Everyone ever not been through it? Yeah? Nope. <laughs> Anyone going through it currently? Anyone been through it, just waiting for it to come back around again before you can go through it again? <laughs> well, if you know the end of the story that he has overcome, then you have a peace 
that you can walk in even in the midst of it. The second one to realign our peace perspective is found in Matthew 28, 20. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our second peace perspective is, I am with you. You are not alone. I am not alone. At the beach, um, our kids would always freak out a little bit. Or actually, that's not true. They were super bold. Daz would freak out a little bit because Daz felt, not being a super strong swimmer, felt like they always went out too far. And, and it was more because he knew that if something went wrong, there was no way that he was going to be able to get out there and help them. And so he'd always be, Bron, don't let them go out so far. And I, I felt like as a kid that I, I was the same and I'd go out too far and you'd get dumped and you'd get caught in a rip and you'd come up with a bleeding nose and it was all part of the fun adventure. And so I'd just let them go for it. And um, But one of the things is that they would always go much further than what they would have otherwise if they were clinging around my neck. Why? Because they knew that someone was with them who was confident in the, st- in the middle of the waves, that, that they would actually recognise that they could go further than what they would have otherwise. And in the storms of life, if we'll recognise and cling to the one who has the confidence to take us through it, we'll go further than what we would have otherwise. That actually the one who in the midst of the waves and the turbulence actually has the capacity to cause those to be still and in fact did, who stood on the bow of a boat and commanded and said, peace, be still, that if we'll cling to Him, then we're actually able to be confident to go further and farther. So that's how it's worked in us. The peace of God has worked in us. That actually it's... It's, it's, it's th- through aligning our perspective with His, that He has overcome and He is with us. And then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But then the secondly, that if we're to outwork it, what you need to know is that peace is proclaimed. That there's something powerful about proclaiming peace. Our worship team did it over us this morning. They proclaimed a blessing over us. And, and when you, you know the difference between someone who sings that and is believing that that blessing is going out over the congregation and they're actually singing it and declaring it over the congregation, well, our job is also to declare peace in the situations that we go into. Jesus declared peace over the storm that day on the boat. He said to His disciples, go into townships everywhere and give them your peace. But if they won't receive it, don't worry about it. But it's on you to proclaim peace. There's something powerful about proclaiming claiming peace. And it used to be back in the day that that churches would say, let's pass the peace. And you'd shake hands with the person next to you and you'd say, peace be with you and also with you. And it maybe became just a, a part of the, the service and maybe a tradition, but it started as this is a powerful thing to do. I give you peace. I'm, I've actually got the ability from the peace that's within me to give you peace as well. I wonder if you've ever thought about your ability to do that in a situation that just by your being the one who has peace worked in them is able to bring peace to that situation. You know, they say that mums set the spiritual, not the spiritual, sorry, but the tone, the emotional tone of the household. That if the mum is super frantic and, 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 and having a meltdown, then the whole house will have a meltdown. Or if the mum's super calm, that, that she'll bring calm to that situation. I'm a bit like, wow, that's a lot on the mum. I think it's really on all of us individually. But it's definitely true that if we'll settle into a, a state of centeredness and groundedness and peacefulness, that that has a massive impact on the family around us. 
So peace. I'm going to ask Tegan to come back off on stage now because I've got a couple of questions for her. And uh, I hope we're going to sit on these beautiful chairs. Oh, that's all right. Just leave it there. That's fine. And Teagues, I've got a question for you. Mate, I think it'll come on. Is it on? Do you want to... So, Teagues, I'm going to pass you my mic in just a moment. But, um, Teagues, you had three kids in three and a half years. And, uh, and they were, they, that was hectic because two of them were the same age. Yeah. Um, Teagues, how did you cultivate peace in your household? Um, so, a big thing that um, I work on a lot with kind of people that I see in my job is something called radical acceptance. And to really simplify it, it's about um, looking at the things in front of you or that are in your life that you actually have no control over and can't change. And it's about learning to accept those things. So we're not talking about things that you want to be better or things that, um, you know, you can work towards a different goal. We're talking about things that you actually have no control over. So to be honest, when the twins were born, um, I kind of accepted my lot in life as being a cow. I was hooked up to a pumping machine 24-7, pumping milk for the twins, and I just kind of got to a point that I'm like, okay, this is my place in life for the next however long. It's not always going to be this way. It's going to change. This is what it is for the moment, and I am going to learn to be okay with it. You know, we made it fun. Mum would come over, and she would make up wraps and beatbox to the sound of the pump. Like, you know, we would just kind of have fun with it, and that was that was my way of going, all right, things are hectic, things are stressful, but I'm okay with that because it's not going to be like this forever. And even if it was, I've got these two beautiful humans, now three beautiful humans. um, And yeah, I'm going to do whatever I can to make them healthy and grow up great. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks. Oh, that's so good. I think even for those of us who are really struggling in the season we're in to just go, okay, it is what it is for now. That's so helpful. Um, Teagues, what about um, that, that comment about, you know, the mum sets the tone for the house? Um, I'd love you to comment on that and maybe how you appropriate that. Yes, I agree with you. It's a lot to put on a mum, like a mum that always carries so much already and, and um, really works for the good of their household. What I would say is that um, even if that is true, like at that moment, it's very easy for that piece to be disrupted. So it's very easy for someone that's had a bad day at work to come in and kind of, you know, like, because I work and my husband works and different things happen in our lives out there. It's very easy to bring that home and to disrupt the piece. Or if one of the kids has, has had a really tough day at daycare, it's easy for them to kind of bring that into the home um, and disrupt the piece. And sometimes, yep, you can stay calm and it calms everything down, but sometimes it's just going to blow up in your face because that's life. So what, what, one thing that I've found has been really helpful is to bring it back, um, not look at the behaviour, not look at the blow-ups um, of any of us, but to look at our values. So what we, um, you'll hear me say a lot to the children is, 
Is that kind behaviour? Is that respectful behaviour? Does that show that you love um, the other person in the house? And so even if peace is disrupted, even if we're trying to be calm and it's not working, bringing it back to what's important in our lives and what's important um, to, again, help the children grow up to be good humans, um, yeah, we just keep bringing it back to that. And I think that more than anything creates the peace. Thanks, Tees. Can we thank Tegan? That's so helpful. Just in the last few moments that we have, um, I'm going to ask a beautiful uh, mother figure in my life, Kay Coleman, if she would come. We're just going to talk about patience for a few minutes. And while she comes, I'll just give you the points uh, from James, the book of James. I'll read you the scriptures. Um, But essentially... It says this, it says in James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. And then in chapter 5, verse 10 to 11, it says, For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honour to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him and how at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Um, Kay, can you can we welcome Kay, please? Uh, Kay, in terms of love, as we talked about last week, being the foundation of it in terms of the fruit of the spirit kind of love needing to be sacrificial and and containing sacrifice. Kay, you are then one of the most loving people I know. Um, And when I said to Kay, would you let me ask you a few questions about patience? Kay said, I do not think I'm the right person to ask. Um, But to me, that highlighted it perfectly that in fact, if we have a natural personality trait, then we probably don't focus so much on needing to cultivate that as a fruit of the Spirit. Um, so, Kay, uh, I'm just wondering, it's, the Bible says in James, actually, that, um, that when we endure the testing of our faith, that produces patience. Can you tell us what's worked patience in your life? Um, don't well, point at Frank. <laughs> well, it has to do with him. Um, I, yeah, I was thinking about it, and I think... The biggest time that I was taught patience was when Frank worked away and, um, and there were often times when, you know, we were financially strapped a lot of the times mm. and we had the kids and, you know, they'd get into trouble or do silly things or get sick or whatever and, and Frank would often be away and it was like, this is not fair, you know. And I was very, really, I was impatient and, and we were, you know, just new Christians and so it took a, quite a while, but I learned so much in that time because I had to. Um, I didn't go into having children with any wisdom, really. I just wanted a baby. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and so I never thought things through, prayed things through. It was just one day at a time, bang, bang, bang. Sometimes I did it well, sometimes I didn't. But over that period of time, it taught me to trust God that he is always there, that um, the ultimate ending isn't my doing, um, and to really just learn how to trust him for financial things, for spiritual things, for with the kids, I would get oh, like so uptight about some things, and when I let go, I'm just like, God, I, I don't know what to do, they're yours, you know, you take over. He did, and it was, you know, 
So I think that period of time, which was probably, um, what, could have been 13 years or something, was a really good lesson for me. I didn't like it all the time and I didn't handle it well, but I learnt a lot um, through that, yeah. That's so. so good, Kay. Do you think that God would have been able to outwork the same patience in you had you not been through that? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he knows what I need. Yeah. I, I was worried about what, what I wanted, yeah. but he knows what I need. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. Um, I, you were an inspiration to Daz and I, who he was going away to work and we didn't know how long it would be for. And mm-hmm. we could see that if God could sustain you through that and your family, that he'd sustain mm-hmm. us as well. So thank you so much for your example. That's all right. <laughs> Um, Kay, um, what about specifically as a mother? Um, I was going to ask you a question specifically about a mother. Um, yeah. Do you have any situations that you can impart to us from there? Oh, well, we had plenty of situations. <laughs> but um, oh, now I've lost the plot. Uh, I just think when, I, um, when the kids were little, it was I, I had a lot of fear and a lot of pride which I still struggle with, but um, fear about my kids because once, you know, I grew up in a, a non-Christian family. I know what my family were like, what my siblings were like, and I didn't want my kids to have any of those pitfalls, you know. Mm. So they were going to do what I told them when I told them, and that was it. Mm. So I was very fearful that they would do the wrong thing, get into trouble or whatever, and so I was very controlling, and, um, and I learned over years that we're all on a journey and that our kids, we can't control them. You know, I can't control myself at the best of times, but we can't control other people and their walk with God. And, yeah. and so my controlling out of fear of what might happen and my pride of I didn't want other people to think that, you know, my children were bad or that I was a bad, as bad a mother as I thought I was. Um, and it, it just, it didn't work. And it would, again, take me a long time in certain situations where there were times that I had no idea how to handle things that I thought this is like the end of life. Um, and I would give it up to God and he would work it out. And so my kids, thank you very much, worked a lot of um, patience in me through that because I know that God loves them more than, he, more than I ever could. Mm-hmm. He knows their heart. He knows what they need to happen to grow, and um, and yeah. So I, I think you know there was a lot about patience there, and I'm grateful that most of them grew up to be wonderful people and have a lot more wisdom than their mother had. <laughs> and that, you know, and it's helped me with other people too, you know, because I could be very impatient with people that got saved but didn't do the right thing all the time and so it helps me to understand that we're all on a journey we're all growing and God will never fail he'll let us through yeah that's awesome thank you so much Kay let's thank Kay I'm going to finish in just a moment um I just want to give you five things about patient uh, four things and a fifth (laughs) um patience in the test so tests, we would say, uh, tests of our faith actually are God testing our faith. He tests our faith. He doesn't test our faith to watch us fail. A teacher doesn't test their students to, to, to show them. Like, he, he doesn't, a teacher doesn't test them so that they'll fail. A teacher tests their students so that they'll pass, so they know what to work on next, so that they can do better the next time. And God tests us just so we're aware of where our shortcomings are. He's not up there going, oh, ha, get a load of this guy. 
He's saying, he's going, okay, now you're aware. Now you know that you need to work on that. And so he's patient and we need to be patient in the test as well. Um, patient in the temptation. The temptation is not coming from God. Um, the Bible says that God does not tempt and he tempts no one and he's not tempted himself. So there's someone else that tempts us. So when you feel tempted, know where that's coming from. And patience in the temptation means that we endure the temptation. We don't succumb to it. Patience in the trial, they're often self, um, self-fulfilled things or self whatever things, things that we've done ourselves to give us a trial. And then finally, patient in, patient in the tarry. And the tarry is where we actually are waiting for God to come through. We're either waiting for God to come through now or we're waiting for God to come back. You know, there's times in our lives that we're actually just waiting. There were recent times we had a few funerals and a few really hard things happen. I was like, Jesus, when are you going to set all this to right? When are you going to set all this up to be better? When are you going to set it all up? When are you going to redeem all things, Jesus? And so sometimes we need to just be patient, James says, and wait for the Lord's coming. Now, the kicker is that James said that 2,000 years ago, so we might be waiting a while. But there's a hope that we have in the patience of waiting for God to come back and knowing that He's going to set everything to right. Now, the fifth thing, and just finally, one minute, is love is patient. Love isn't pushy. Love is patient. And I heard this thought this week and it just really hit home to me. Andy Stanley was talking about patience in raising your children. And that actually, that love isn't pushy. We, we don't impose what we want for them onto them. We, we do certainly help them and, and help them socially because if we don't help them at home, then the, when they go out into the world, that's who's going to be helping them and, and put them into shape socially. So we help them in every way and instruct them for sure. But, but it's not what we, we raise them in the way they should go, not in the way we think they should go. I love what Kay just said and what Tegan just said as well about working, oh, Daz prayed for Tegan and Josh, talking about how they raised them with their unique personality in mind, that actually we, we're looking for where they're headed. We're calling out the gifts on their life rather than what we want for their life. Love is patient. Love isn't pushy. And so I just encourage you with that, if you have small children, just to be on the, on the lookout for where they're headed, not where you want them to be headed. We want them to have great lives. Sometimes we can get a bit controlling in that. And so let's, let's keep an eye out for where their gifts are, where their personality goes and what it lends itself to in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.